0: So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Well, 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 the world is an interesting little place. And some people would look at things and go, and that's even more interesting. Well, I want to just stop the whole interesting conversation. It's like, Hey, this is just another perspective of who somebody is in the world and how they want to show up and what makes them happy, what makes them joyful, what makes them feel themselves. But even in our lovely little LGBTQ space, folks, I'm just going to call us out on some of our own bullshit here right now, right out the gate. Sometimes we are the least embracing people. And I'm really excited to be having this conversation because I'm speaking with someone who has given us a perspective of really embracing their male to female dual genderality by embracing their beautiful cross-dressing self and showing up and saying, hey, this just happens to be who I am. And this is how I choose to be in the world because it makes me feel like me. And what I really want to get across today is the embracing the embracing that we all have one inalienable right to be 100% ourselves. And I'm so excited to have Savannah Hawk here. She is a author, a podcaster, an advocate. She's a TEDx speaker, and she is not afraid, not afraid to show up fully and be herself. Savannah, I'm so excited to have you here on Life on Closet. Thank you for making time and being being a beacon of light on this subject matter that, as you and I talked right before we came on, is like, it's not always the most embracing conversation to have, even in our own community. So thanks for being here. I,
1: I appreciate you having me on. The invitation was uh, an honor. And yeah, I'm ready to jump in and tell my story and answer awesome. questions and awesome. do all those things.
0: So you came out of mama's womb and said, this is what I'm going to be. I'm just going to be a little cross-dressing person and I'm going to enjoy my life. Right.
1: Well, I would say it probably was maybe five years, six years after the womb part is about when I figured it out. Um, It was, again, I didn't have language. Well, I had language. I could speak, but I didn't have both the vocabulary to understand what it all meant. Um, Growing up in the 70s, the Midwest, pretty conservative, traditional. It was just one of those things that I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't feel there was something wrong with it. I didn't, you know, I didn't like have shame for myself, probably because I was a little naive about what I thought it was. Or it's like, oh, I just like what mommy's wearing. Or I just mm. like the clothes that she's got on the bed after the laundry's done. It's all folded up. I like what my sister's wearing. It's like, ooh, mm. I'm, I'm interested in those things. And it just was. It was just this, I like this, period. Mm. And it was no, like, I shouldn't like this period. But eventually, as we all know, you get down that road, you start hearing people talk, you start hearing their opinions on the matter, especially where I grew up in the Midwest. And all of a sudden, you're hearing your own folks talk about other kids.
0: Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I
1: think the kid down the block is gay. He's like very effeminate, he's very, like, you know, swishy. And all of a sudden, you're like, ooh, they're talking about that kid that way. I probably yeah. should keep my stuff a little low key and that's how I grew up. I grew up yeah. just self pres- preserving and making sure I didn't um, <laughs> make waves. Didn't or- make waves
0: and cause any problems out there. No. I get it. I, I would never, I will never forget my uh, mother's mother. My, they lived on a farm and just simple farm folk in Colorado and love them dearly. I mean, salt of the earth sort of people, especially my grandfather. And I'll never forget the day that my grandmother was, okay, so we're going to go back in the seventies here. And really like, she's like, well, you know, our wetbacks, they're just, you know, they're just good people. I'm like, okay, you would, that wouldn't fly these days for sure. Right. She goes, but there's that one. And i I don't even remember. I'm going to just call him Pablo or Jose or something. Right. But you know, he's just a little light in the pants and I'm just like, mm. what does that mean? You know? And when I said, what does that mean? And, She's like, you don't need to know what I, what I mean. Right. Well, of course that was code for, I think he's gay. Right. And, but yet we weren't talking about this stuff. And I think this is the generational stuff. That's like, we don't talk about these certain things, even, even to the time of my life when my dad's oldest brother was out gay, it was never really talked about in the family circles. It's like, we acknowledged that he had a boyfriend but we wouldn't say those words it's like oh this is uncle will's friend right Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's the same stuff it's like these things aren't talked about because first quote what was the language we were using back then about this sort of stuff so once you really started feeling these things of like this is what i like and i love that you say i like this period that's Mm -hmm. it right what did you start acting at? out on with this? Did you start dressing up in your sister's mom's clothes? How did you know? Did you you read
1: my book? I think Uh, I did. Okay. Uh, Because yes, that's exactly what happened. Sneaking in. You know, I had more problems with the sneaking into places I wasn't supposed to be Mm -hmm. way more than the act of dressing. Mm -hmm. I didn't consider the act of borrowing like, oh, I want to try this on and see how it feels because it just felt good. Uh, but be like oh my god I'm going into my, my parents room and I shouldn't be that was actually more the warning bell <laughs> than the yep. actual dressing part so that I thought was really interesting but yeah like from pre-adolescence um anything I could get a hold of yep. uh, you know whether it was I just I haven't ever told this story but uh there was a bag of um bathing suits from my mm. aunt's house because she had all these daughters And I was over there like, you know, grabbing bikini bottoms and and just like, you know, holding them up to myself. Any any way I had a chance or just a moment where I could do it, I would explore it. And I continued on through teenage years, ended up uh, sharing it with one of my girlfriends, uh, probably when I was 17. And she and I think it was young love. Where it's like it's naive and it's innocent and uh, there wasn't that stigma in terms of like her and I together about it. So I felt really good about having somebody who supported me in that way. Um, But then adulthood hit. And then when adulthood hits, all of a sudden some of the realities of societal norms and what the people on mass think about things.
0: See um, if we just didn't have to grow up. It just yeah. if we just didn't grow up. It could be so much easier, right? It would be. But I, I mean, little boys, anyway. little boys play with little boys' pee-pees and little girls play with little <laughs> girls, you know, vaginas. I mean, oh, it's okay. That's like okay. Well, then why should we have to grow up? We just want to do this stuff, right? But yeah. um, it's interesting that because it's I, I never really thought about it until you just said it, about that sneaking into places piece because it was slightly different for me. But I mean, I was always sneaking into my parents' bedroom. Define my dad's, you know, playgirls and playboys and mom's playgirls, dad's playboys. And whatever else, hustlers and everything, not because I wanted to look at the guy, the girls, I wanted to look at the guys. And I was always afraid of like, okay, well, make sure the books get put back exactly this way. And that, you know, I wasn't ejaculating stuff at that time in my life, but okay. Oh my God. I sweat onto this one. Oh my God. There's a Mm blotch on, you know, Burt Reynolds, you know, penis on the barrel, so to speak. Right. (laughs) And it was like, it was more the like, ooh, the sneaking in was almost scarier than actually like, okay, I'm looking. Now, granted, right. when right. I did finally get caught looking, that scared me to death, right? Because that was the first indication that, hey, <laughs> little Ricky's got something different he's looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. Little Ricky's looking at little Dickies, so to speak. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay. But for you, this was just, this is what I enjoy again, period. But where's the sexuality piece fit into this whole equation for you?
1: Well, whew, boy, we could go. How, how much time do you have? Uh, because as we as you may or may not know, especially when it comes to cross-dressing, if you start cross-dressing when you are adolescent and you use it as a mechanism for self-pleasure, then it it becomes a reward response that the more you dress, the more you can pleasure yourself in the more reward you get, the more you want to do. It. And it's just like mm-hmm. kind of an upward spiral where it is becomes inherent in uh entangled with your dressing.
0: Yep. So
1: for me, there was a little of that and it was exploration hormones, raging all those things. But because I had done it pre-adolescent, mm-hmm. there was a different feeling about it. There was this different sensuality, but it wasn't sensuality because I'm a child of seven who doesn't know what that really means. But there was a femininity and a feminine spirituality to it that was inherent to why I dress. Now, the reward of masturbating and seeing yourself in the mirror and looking gorgeous, that became a standard in adolescence. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the reason why I dressed. It was just like, ooh, look, look at me. And it was just like, you know, the hormonal parts of being being a teenager. And unfortunately, it always gets entangled. Anytime you start putting sexuality and gender together, or especially diversity and gender together with your sexuality and release and pleasure in the dopamine and the endorphins and all the things that release, you start tying those things together way too much. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to unravel the the fact that you can feel sexy and you can feel sensual and Mm -hmm. feminine, without it being a sexual thing like sexuality is not doesn't have any part of your gender uh expression or identity they're obviously they're all part of a healthy human condition but you you can't say oh savannah likes to dress as a girl therefore their sexuality is x like right. they're they're correlated but they are not cause causations
0: right. no there's no so. causation and that i think that's the thing where most people get really confused and and for some people it, it could be the beginning of yes i dress this way because there's a piece of myself that realizes i am transgender and i want to transition all this sort of stuff but then that's that's where people screw that all up too like oh so they want to be a lesbian I'm like no that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that at all no you know, it, it can mean I, I don't want to be a lesbian. I see myself as a heterosexual woman and I'm transitioning from male to female. And I see myself as a heterosexual woman. Of course, then that's when everything gets so confused. That's we need psychology and classes and sex and gender studies and all this stuff in the world. As long as you're in a state where that's still allowed, of course. But um, of, course,
1: of course, of yeah. course, um, yeah. I now I will say that even uh, in the roaring 90s, when I was in New York and really it came to a head where I'm like, wait, those are drag queens. Those are real. Oh, look, two guys holding hands. Oh, look at those people that are all androgynous. So it's right. like all of a sudden I'm downtown and Soho seeing all these things, going to Lucky Chang's and mm. it's like booming days of his, you know, where celebrity right. was going to the restaurant. Um, I started seeing things I had never seen as things that spoke to me. Like Miss Doubtfire, Tootsie, Bosom Buddies, Rocky Horror, well, maybe less Rocky Horror. Those things didn't speak to me for like, oh, they recognize me and I recognize myself and them. So Rocky Horror, at least uh, Frankenfurter, was who he was. And that's who he was. He wasn't trying to deceive anybody. He was just who he was. So I think of those four, that came closest to like, he wasn't putting on a parade He wasn't deceiving anybody. He wasn't putting on a costume. That's just who he was as a person. So that's where I had to come to terms in the 90s of like, oh, I get it. Yeah, these are people who are real people doing this in earnest. Right. And that's who they want to be or how they want to express themselves. And finally, it clicked in for me to be like, oh, this is who I am. Transvestite, which was an icky word. And then crossdresser, which has kind of become an icky word. Um, not understanding the, any of the trans language uh, at that time. Uh, but then you want to talk about sexuality, sexuality is like I was going to the clubs. I was going to Lucky Chang's and looking at these gorgeous drag queens or these gorgeous crossdressers and knowing that they were men biologically really effed up my brain because mm. I said, "Ooh, they are so hot, so attractive. I'm so drawn to them, but I know they're men. Therefore, I must be gay. Hmm. but I wasn't 10 minutes prior to that experience. I was mm-hmm. like very confident in my heterosexuality. And then I see right. these people going, but I know they're men and they're so gorgeous and I'm sexually attracted to them. So I must be gay, which in my second book, I talk about, yeah, there's sexual attraction and there's romantic attraction. Sexual attraction is the veneer that you're drawn to from across the room. Yep. It's like, Ooh, look at that hot chick at the bar. But romantic attraction is a person you really want to take home to meet your parents.
0: So but Savannah, I to- don't but don't you think, Savannah, the interesting thing about all this is, <clears throat> and I'm gonna use Steven Tyler as a good example of this. His his dress and everything is so flowy and flamboyant and everything. It's just what he enjoys wearing. Mm-hmm. Yet so many heterosexual men are like, oh, he's not, but then they're like well, he kind of is like as masculine as they come because he just screw anything that walks around. Right. (laughs) So it's like just interesting that these constructs get thrown into play. Right. We're getting, we're getting ready to go on a, a all gay cruise. And it's kind of interesting to kind of be thinking through my own stuff around this right now, because you know, like there's a a moo -moo night and there's like a night where we're celebrating the seventies and I'm like, okay, I grew up in the 70s. So if I was gonna really celebrate the 70s, I love disco, but everybody's gonna be doing that. Of course, they're like, we're gonna have our village people. And I'm like, every every gay man on the cruise is gonna be doing something village people, I'm like, I'm much more hippie flowy. So of course I'm trying to find that hippie flowy sort of stuff that I wanna wear, right? Right. But does that make me uber feminine? No, no. I just, it's something I feel like I can really cut loose and be who I wanna be. Because I literally did. I was raised by two hippies. So I, why not go back to my roots? If we're going to do a 70s, let's go back to what I... But it's such an interesting thing to see these constructs show up. And then everybody gets wigged out. Literally. You know, like, I mean... No pun intended. Ever, yeah, <laughs> literally no pun intended. But, you know, as you were talking about Broadway and New York and everything, I mean, I think about Hedwig and the Angry Inch and this, mm-hmm. just these different roles that it's become more and more... OK, we are we're, we're pushing to those boundaries of like the lines are so blurred and it actually has nothing to do with your sexual orientation or any of it. It's just this is who I am.
1: Right. But when you're trying to discover that in a vacuum. Yes. like I which is I I have so much sympathy for the kids today coming up in world where every state wants to pass a thousand bans on. Yep gays and transgender and drag and just stupidity whereas we didn't really have that growing up but we grew up in a vacuum where they have the information we didn't so me questioning my sexuality on the face of seeing a beautiful drag queen Mm -hmm. blew my mind absolutely you know my wig is flying off because i couldn't figure out well i can't be that makes no sense i can't be attracted to that person because i'm heterosexual but if i am attracted then i must be gay And so I had to unravel that even though I'd never been with a man. And from prior or after the problem was like, just the idea of that construct totally threw me off for like 10 years until I really unravel the, I'm attracted to women. Mm
0: -hmm. If you have a
1: drag queen who is just crushing her feminine look, to the highest standard, why yeah. would my brain be attracted to
0: that? Absolutely. If to women? Absolutely. I have a really good friend um, who's a, a pretty dang well-known drag queen. Her name is Edie the Entertainer. And she's got that 60s, that girl vibe going. And every time I see her, I'm just like, I. if she was walking down the street, I don't think most people would know any different. Mm-hmm. Yet, he is as gay as a gay man can be you know and it's like if you saw him you would have no idea that that's what he does That that's mm-hmm. what his livelihood is right because he he's he's very light he's a, he's a, i believe he's an ex dancer maybe even a ballet dancer so he's got that long lean life body and everything but when you're just talking to him you have no idea you know every once in a while okay edie comes out when you're in casual conversation <laughs> but um but it's such an interesting thing, and I I've had my own experiences as I came out of the closet. Like, oh my gosh, I just I don't get the I don't get the leather scene. I don't get the sisters of perpetual indulgence. Yeah. I don't get any of that. And then one time I saw a really hot guy, really hot guy, in a bustier, and I'm like, hmm, and I'm like, what is going on in my head? Exactly, exactly. And it wasn't because every guy I'm with I want, but there was just something about the beauty of his body and that that expected construct was totally screwing with my mind like why does he look so good in that bustier right you know and what does it say about you right what does it say about how i've been exactly and how i've been socialized and like you know all that sort of stuff which is interesting because i was in musical theater and stuff all through college and, and even had my own I was Dolly at one point in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So I've had had my like, let's cross dress, let's get it all done, all that sort of stuff. And it's just such an interesting thing because I can, there are moments when I think back to that, like I could put that whole costume on and suddenly I am a totally different being. But I'm pretty much just a rock solid guy, guy, guy most of the time. Okay, I I can be a little So am I. Right. (laughs) But that's the thing is people go and look at something like this and they go, oh, they're just, you know, they need, they're just, they need some real help. They need, and it's like, I do. I
1: really do. (laughs) I mean, I know you, I'm sure you've
0: been through it all. So
1: I, well, you know, I left work early, went to the chiropractor, um, you know, my girlfriend's upstairs corralling the dawns, but I live an 85, 90% male centric life. Mm -hmm. It took me 26 years to tell, which I've worked at my company for 27 years took me 27 years to tell my boss, who I've known the entire time, that this is part of who I am. He'll never see it. I'm never going to bring Savannah to work. There's no point. Plus, I'd have to get up crazy early, and I'm not about that. So for me, like most people know me in my male guys as Chuck, and they would never, like you said, about your friend walking down the street. Nobody would ever be like, you know, there's something about you. I don't know, I can't place it, but there's some feminine thing about you that I just can't can't pinpoint. But that's nobody notices because I'm very what you hear now out of my mouth is what you're gonna get intellectually. Uh, the only difference is like you said with Dolly, you dress this way, your mannerisms change, you you yeah, everything's yourself a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you're because of social constructs, I'm allowed to touch people a little more often. Like you can touch a person on the arm and, and pat them. Whereas a man's like, Whoa, what are you doing? You know, keep your distance. So there are some things I get a benefit by being dressed this way. But for the most part, I don't affect my voice any different. This is how Savannah talks. And I just go through life. Um, The big thing I had to do, I moved to South Carolina from New York city and coming down here to a very conservative, very red state. I was petrified to go out in the world, and it took me six months. And I found uh, P flag and some meetup groups, which were mostly gay men, but they had parents of trans kids. They had, uh, you know, trans masculine people. They had just a variety of things. No cross dressers. Mm. I was the only token on that. But I found that it's you know I need to be out. I need to be out in the world, and I've made a point to go out almost. Every Sunday, is called Savannah Starbucks Sunday, and I go out, just do my work, do my podcast editing, do my writing, do my whatever, and just hang out for three, four hours at any Starbucks in the upstate just to be, just to be mm-hmm. out. And if people want to look at me funny, that's a prerogative. If they want to say, can I ask you something? I'm open to that. Um, and also, I think for people, especially the young people who work at Starbucks as a barista's, if they can see somebody like me that they know both guises, mm-hmm. I, I would like to think that that's a good example for them. It's like, hey, if that person can do it and just be completely comfortable, then they could be just as comfortable pursuing whatever sexuality and gender identity they see fits for them.
0: But that's such a big beacon of hope and light you're putting out in the world. It's It's like, let's show what the world can be when we just allow people to be be yes provided you're not an asshole
1: it helps it helps that that helps a whole lot
0: i mean (laughs) you know you don't get to like in my world you don't get to tote a gun around and say if you're not this way you're going to get this no you first of all you can put the gun tote in the way as far as i'm concerned but but it, it is an interesting piece of the puzzle because I've really struggled over the last few years since things have gone really haywire in our lovely little country about, OK, I'm not going to go to that state. right? I'm not gonna, and there's only really two states right now that I actually say I absolutely will not set foot in those states. There's some on the fringes, mm-hmm. but the ones on the fringes, I'm like, OK, but am I doing a disservice to my community and myself as a person on the planet by going cutting them off? The two being Florida and Texas, I refuse to go just because I don't feel safe. I literally do not feel safe. Not that you would know I'm gay. I mean, I'm one. Of, I am very passable as a hetero guy. I walk down the street and one's gonna know I'm gay until I go "grrr," <laughs> which I don't. I don't very often do. I, I use that more as a joke. But most people would have no idea I'm a gay man until unless I actually tell them. Right. Right. So I always get caught in that dilemma of well, then go be a beacon in the world and show up. Keeps showing up until it, it doesn't feel safe to show up. Then that's a different thing. But even then, if you go hide, then, then quote, they win. Yeah. So it's a matter of like showing up and showing the world who you can be and what is possible when you just let people be who they are. Right. And I and don't it, know why this yeah. seems to be such a hard concept for certain people in our lovely planet to get. But,
1: well, the fear.
0: It is, fear, it, but it's yeah, fear. it is fear, but yeah, it is
1: fear. It's it's fear of the unknown for both sides. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. who are Absolutely. ignorant of who I am, because right. if you never needed to cross somebody like me, why would you need to go out of your way to learn about me? Right. So ignorance is not a bad thing. It just is. You don't know what you don't know. So that's, I, I always give that a pass as long as you're willing and ready and able to ask a question in earnest it's got to be something that you have to be interested and engaged to ask the question but not start touting and spouting rhetoric from your side without engaging because all that soon is like i was told that this is the way i should think and that's the way i'm going to do it and you're going to hell because the bible says so and you're a deviant and you mental conditions all all that that's just what we've been told and all the misinformation everything like that I have a steady job. Like I said, I've been working a job for 27 years. I own my own house. Um, you know, I have a healthy relationship with my girlfriend. I have two dogs. I am an upstanding citizen. Um, you wouldn't know that if I'm not dressed this way. But what am I doing to harm the fabric
0: of who you are as a person? Exactly. That's such a beautiful way to put it. I've always said what, how I crawl in bed at night with my husband, how is that actually affecting you in your heterosexual world? The only way it is, is if you're laying there awake and I'm sorry, I'm not going to be held accountable for you laying in bed awake, thinking about me being in bed with my husband. That's on you, not on me. I'm hideous? on my husband. I'm on my husband. <laughs> in my bed, So it's that simple, but you know, but it is such an interesting thing because when we can separate it in that simplicity, like, please explain why this is affecting you so much. I'm not concerned about Savannah dressing up at all. I'm not concerned about somebody, well, maybe I am a little concerned about somebody who's in a heterosexual relationship and who isn't having sex. I'm like, well, that's sad. You know, I'm probably thinking that a little bit, but it, you know, each person gets to go, but I'm not going to be laying in at night going, oh my gosh, my neighbor's not having sex. My neighbor's not having sex Poor little heterosexual man. I could help him so much. No, I'm not concerned about it. It's not my worry. I, I mean, I love the planet and I love people, but there's a certain space where you just kind of go, really? why is this, you know, and you're right. It's, it's ignorance. It's unknowing. It's just not, you know, it's fear. It's downright fear. Like, Ooh, something, you know, all we have to see is all the rhetoric around all this.
1: Yeah. Course. And it's, it, yeah. And there's a belief component. <clears throat> and this is where I also try to be very sympathetic because when I came down here in South Carolina, there was a lot of talk about conversion centers. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, wait, they still have those. Right. Like, uh, I was like, that's still a thing as of yeah. like six years ago. So I was like, Blew my mind that that was still a thing that there was talk therapy conversion centers to make you hetero again. Pray the gay away. I was like, I'm blown away by it. Um, But in that regard, if you look at it from a very specific angle, you're like, how could you do that to your child? That's that's the way a lot of us would see it.
0: That's the way I would see it. And the
1: other side is they were taught to believe that their child by being gay is going to hell. So as a loving parent, again, this is very, maybe Pollyanna from my perspective, but I don't think parents go into the world thinking their kids are deviants and saying, you know, I hate you and I'm tossing Mm -hmm. you out. Although that happens a lot too. Don't get me wrong. But there are people who probably do this because they turn to the church. They turn to people in authority and say, I don't want my child to suffer what can I do? And then they say, Oh, well, you know, we'll put them in therapy and we'll pray the gay way and they'll be straight X gay. It'll be X gays, you know? And that's, again, I'm not saying it's right, but what I'm saying is I also try to take in the idea that people are not inherently bad or evil. They're just, they understand what they understand and it's about education. It's about, like you said, just being in the world as a productive member, not being an asshole and just being like, Oh, look at that. Look at that uh, dual gender person over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It's like, right. and they can go home and be like, Hey, Hey Joe, I saw this this trans person at, at this, at the coffee shop and they weren't being weird.
0: <laughs> right. They were so, having coffee. They were doing their work. They were, you know, all this sort of stuff, but that that's the thing where we're so much more alike than we are different. You know, yes. early on when I started doing this podcast, one of the things I used to say was I get up in the morning and my husband's as cranky as your husband. (laughs) And if he doesn't get his coffee, I know I just need to stay clear. And then, you know, there's mornings that we don't say a word to each other until we both had our coffee and then we get our breakfast or sometimes we don't depends on what, how similar does this sound to a lot of people's lives? You know, Mm -hmm. Hey, when we had the kids at home, it's like, okay, are you taking them or I'm taking them? You know, who's picking them up? I mean, oh, guess what? That sounds just like your life, doesn't it? With your kids. Yeah. We're actually pretty much the same. The only thing is, is who I'm crawling in bed with at night. Yeah. Pretty simple.
1: Or in my case, how I decide to present myself to the world. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think the beauty of how we choose to present ourselves to the world is that we choose to present ourselves to the world in our truth. Mm -hmm. And to the point of all these people who are really, truly struggle with this. I really always want to invite them to just, okay, that's one perspective. What would it look like if you look through it at this lens? Yeah. And what would it look like if this? And I I was raised in a very faith-based system of fear and damnation and all that sort of stuff. And I realized that didn't really serve me. It didn't really make me a better person. As soon as I quit believing in some of that and started going, I believe there's something greater than myself. But I don't want to believe in that thing if it's going to tell me you're going to go to hell for who you are. I don't buy into it. I just simply do not buy into that sort of philosophy. And suddenly I started loving myself. I started loving the planet more. Well, I've always loved the planet. But I started loving people more because I'm like, I didn't have this chip on my shoulder going, everybody's after me. And those who are after me, I'm like, that's a really sad existence. If all you Mm -hmm. can think about is by liking me, oh my gosh, I may go to hell too. Really? Do you think that's really what a loving God would actually do like say, Oh, you love this person for who they were. You're going to hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, you know, Oh, wow. I love Savannah because she, she rocked that dress. Well, you're going to hell because she shouldn't be doing that.
1: St. So, Peter is going to see that mark in the book. Real quick, I want to tell you a story. I was on a, a plane trip back from New York to South Carolina. Sitting next to me was a person doing missionary work, uh, Baptist, Baptist um, congregation, going to New York, doing food drives, doing good for the poor and destitute. Awesome. And so he started talking about the Bible and how he, he turned to the Bible. And when he did, um, well, I'm sorry. First thing he said, I was like, I believe every word in the Bible. I said, oh, you do? I said, well, let me show you a picture. I was not Savannah at that time. Show me a picture of Savannah. I said, this is me. And I have objection to Deuteronomy 22, five that talks about me being an abomination to God. So are you telling me you believe that word for word? So we actually spent the majority of the flight going through like what all the theologians say he's got a little app on his phone. Right. Um, and we were having a good conversation. We were having a real conversation about his belief and my belief. And so one thing he said was when he turned to God and turned to the book, his life felt complete. And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, well, when I accepted myself for who I am, I also felt complete in that piece. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of like, oh, yeah you know it was like it was kind of this dawning moment doesn't mean I it mean was changes
0: perspective
1: no. about what his But the thing are. is is
0: i think we can accept ourselves for who we are and still accept that there's something else too yeah yeah and i think there's so much dogmatic positioning that happens like no it's this way mm-hmm. it's just this way you know <clears throat> and um i know you and i could talk about this all night long <laughs> well, because it is well it's just it's such it's such a commonality of again If we would just stop and be empathetic to one another doesn't mean we have to agree Mm -mm. but have conversations have this beautiful listening and like what you just described i love that story it may not have changed anything that he thought but it sure gave him something to think about yeah and i'm sure there was stuff he said that got you to think about stuff but the way you turn that into like here's what i started to experience which is exactly what you start to experience and I didn't hear you say one time, I think the Bible's a crock of crap. I didn't nope. hear you say that at all. You just said, here, here's where I have some, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what's always interesting, Savannah, is when you go, and I had an um, author on not long ago, can't think of his name, but his book is called Unclobbered, where he goes through the, all the biblical references to LGBTQ and all this stuff where it just clobbers. Mm. And he he went back in history to like when those passages got added and the tweaks that got made. yeah, There's so many people who don't want to hear that. Well, no, that didn't really happen. Okay, so you really believe that this thing that got written all those hundreds of years ago is the same exact thing you're holding right now. You honestly believe that. People just kind of freeze up Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to answer that question.
1: Yeah, it's like the King James version was translated and modified based on King James's kind of proclivity of what his belief was um and also when i go back to deuteronomy 22 5 as part of the deuteronomic laws right uh, and the hebrew mitzvah i think that's yep. where it's like 617 laws and i'm like hey you know what i'm all about taking the eggs out of the nest believing the mother um as one of those laws yep. um and, and putting a guardrail in a railing around your roof so people don't fall off beautiful god thank you for for some some engineering codes uh but yeah there's some things of like how how were people dressing when that passage was written weren't yep. they all wearing robes and sandals so i'm not yep. sure where cross-dressing comes in mm-hmm. um or you know i don't believe uh victoria secrets had an outlet at the right. uh, you know the bethlehem mall uh, in that time so it was like really what are we talking about here what is the real thing being discussed hey. not just bad fact that savannah in the world is an abomination right. because i want to dress
0: this way yes but these are the same people who sit in congress or one in particular and says well you know back in in the years past you know where we paid enough taxes to influence climate change i'm like okay you know you can't <laughs> logic with these people there's no Put on the tinfoil hats and let let's go after it. So, um, but um, well, Savannah, let's talk about real quickly your books, this book series you have out that really can help support people. Tell a little bit of your story and where people can find your podcast.
1: All right. Well, um, I have two books in the Living with Cross Dressing book series. Uh, they both have different subtitles. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first one is about relationships and having discussions with your partner, and what mm-hmm. does cross dressing look like in that relationship. Uh, The second book was more kind of how can you have enough confidence and self-love to have that conversation with a partner or Mm. with people outside of you? Uh, Because you can't come to the table unsure of yourself and expect to win the argument of like why you are the way you are. So those are the two books that are out now on Amazon and other places where you can download. Awesome. Um, Working on two more books right now. The third is Basically, Gender 101, which you had talked about earlier, uh, you and I, about what does it look like when we start having conversations about gender diversity and yep. the, the, the myriad and spectrum and galaxy of, of all the different words. I'm working on that now. Hope to have it out end of year, first of 2024. Also working on my first uh, queer fiction, uh, nice. sci-fi dystopian coming of age, young adult uh, fiction novel. I'm hoping to have that done by the end of the year. And uh, also, lastly, um, that you would love, because we are both podcasters, uh, the Fox in the Phoenix podcast right there. Nice. Uh, we come out weekly on Wednesdays, me and my co-host, Julie Rubenstein, she found me and we want to collaborate on something for the community and nice. uh, it blossomed into a podcast. So we've been doing that for a roughly four years.
0: Very cool. So glad to have met you and had you on the podcast and heard your story and, and giving another face to this beautiful thing that we call humanity. Notice I didn't say sexuality and all that stuff. I'm like, no, it's just humanity. (laughs) It's just humanity. So, well, thank you so much, Savannah, for being here and sharing. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Savannah, all the stuff is on the website, her website, her Instagram, Facebook, her Facebook group, her podcast, her books, all that is going to be available for you to like just go, go support her in every way that you can. And maybe even just open your mind. Yes, I'm talking to you, LGBTQ community. Open your minds to another faction of who we are in our beautiful queer culture. So, Love it. Thanks again so much, Samantha. I really appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us